I'd like to speak to you this morning on a few thoughts I've had over the past week. And if you remember, I don't know the lyrics of the song, so I'm not giving my stamp of approval on it. I don't know who sang it. But there is a song out, and the title of the song is Life is a Highway. Everybody remember that song or have heard it? I want to title this sermon, uh, take a little spin off that one, and not so much Life is a a Highway, but Life is a Hallway. All right, Life is a Hallway. Brother Tim, you can title that sermon Life is a Hallway uh, off of that song. The reason, uh, when I think about that, uh, everybody in here is is familiar with a hallway, right? Most every house, wherever you live, or been in a hotel, has a hallway, and a hallway is just a very long corridor, and it has doors off each side of it, right? And as you go down through there, you know, you open the door to the left, it may lead to a bedroom. You open a door to the right, it may lead to a bathroom. You go on down and you open the door, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, I was always fascinated with these when I was growing up. I'd go to people's houses, and they would have a little half door, you know, anybody familiar with that? And you'd open that, like, what in the world is this little half door doing? And it's way up here, it doesn't start, and you'd open it up, and there'd be a water heater. There's all types of things behind doors, right? And the reason that I wanted to preach this message is because behind the doors of life uh, are experiences that you can have. Um, there are, uh, you know, things that you can go in through, doors that you can go into, and they can take you into rooms that are full of all different types of things. Uh, Some of those things can be very good. Some of those things can be very bad. And what I've noticed over the past several years that has really, really troubled me is the, when I say young people, I mean those that are, you know, getting ready to spread, they're spreading their wings. Maybe maybe recent college graduates or maybe uh, high school students that are in their upper years Uh, uh, But mostly I think about college people when I think about this. There is a a mentality among that age group of people, and and, in all ages definitely, but it seems to be more prominent in that age group where as they're going down through the hallway of life without thought, without seeking counsel, without prayer, or without any measure of wisdom, they open doors and run through them with reckless abandon. And it's because they believe a lie that the devil has got the large majority of our society believing, and that lie is that behind every door, you will find happiness. No matter what doors you open and what experiences you go pursue, the end result of that is going to be joy and happiness, right? And that's, what, <clears throat> that's the lie that the devil tells us. So they say, hey, if, if you have a notion to, uh, and I'm going to be very, very bold this morning, if you are going down life's hallway and there's a door there that leads into a homosexual lifestyle and you want to walk through that door, there's going to be joy and happiness at the end of it. If you're going down life's hallway and you want to open this door over here and that door is going to lead you into some illicit relationships that you know you shouldn't be involved in, that that, the end all of that will lead to happiness. And the devil says, hey, all roads lead to happiness, right? That started in the Garden of Eden. Do you understand? Do you understand as Adam and Eve were walking through the Garden of Life, there came a knock on the door and it was the devil himself saying, come through this door. It only leads to joy. You'll be as God's knowing good and evil. You see, what the devil told Adam and Eve is that God really lied to you. 
God told you that you would die if you eat this fruit. But Adam, listen, Eve, he was lying to you. You're not going to die if you eat this. Come through this door and walk into this room filled with the experience of being as a God. All roads lead to happiness, right? Do you think when they started to experience the deterioration of their bodies and the separation from God, do you think they would have said, yeah, all roads lead to happiness? They don't, right? Not all roads lead to happiness. So as we walk down the hallway of life and we hear knocks on the door, you better pursue those knocks with wisdom, godly counsel, and much prayer. Okay, because like I said, with reckless abandon, young people are running off into these doors and getting experiences in this life that destroy them. Right now. One of the and and one of the. uh, One of the things that I am very cautious about when I go out with my family, I have, uh, you know, ranges from seven to 14. And we try to surround them with godly people, godly environment, godly things on the television, godly things coming through the radio, you know. And uh, when we go out to eat, when we go out doing this, that, or the other, anytime a group of college kids are around, I get very tense, very nervous. And typically, and I'm, I'm, I'm not always right, I am almost always right that it won't be long before you'll hear foul language spewing from their conversations, rolling over into the ears of my family, who God has set me on the wall to be the watchman. And every now and then, as I watch them with a very, very godly glare, right? (laughs) And as I look at them, every now and then, one of them will catch my eye and I'll see them say, to their friends like and they'll point over there like hey there's kids over there and you know what i think sometimes i think there's probably somebody that was raised right that's got some spiritual sense to them but they just went through the wrong door and they're with the wrong people and the wrong crowd a lot of people in that age as they walk through that hallway they find the door of fornication knocking They find the door of alcohol knocking, the door of drugs knocking. And the mindset is that all roads lead to happiness. And so they open that door and they run into the room of those things and they find themselves in terrible shape later. Now listen, we have all to some extent experienced that. And I wish God's people would have this mentality. If I were to stand up here and preach to you about the effects of divorce. If you have been divorced, your mentality should not be, you know, get tense and angry and I can't believe he's preaching on something that I've experienced. Your mentality should be to amen, amen. Of all people, you should be celebrating somebody preaching that topic to save some of these little ones from experiencing those things. It would be like if I got bit by a rattlesnake and then I pooched my lips out when somebody talked about the dangers of rattlesnakes. You understand? Don't get your feelings hurt just because you've experienced some of these things in life. You ought to be amen and above everybody because you are a walking, living testimony to how some of these doors will lead you to your end. All right? Now, 
Let's look at a few examples here in the Bible, and I'm not going to leave you on a negative note. We're going to look at some bad examples, but I want to look at some good examples. I'll tell you what I'm going to do before I do that. And this is not my habit to do this, and I'm a little bit embarrassed to have to do it. But as I studied this, I thought back to a poem that I wrote about 10 years ago. I didn't write it for anybody. I had thoughts on my mind. I wrote it. I saved it on my computer, and I hardly ever even thought about it again until I started studying these. And so I'm going to read you a poem that I wrote. I am not a wordsmith. I am not a poet. But I believe the sentiment and the spirit of what's in the poem will lay some groundwork for the experiences that we're going to see in the Scripture. So if you'll allow me, and you're not going to laugh at me, I'm going to read you a poem that I wrote many, many years ago that very, very applicable to this. <clears throat> it goes this way. It says, I lived a life of simplicity. And I want you to think as I, as I talk to you, um, as I read this poem about walking down the hallway of life and going in some doors, okay? I lived a life of simplicity, nothing much going on around. I often grew bored with my simple life until one day I found a door in the woods, and strange it did seem, for no building there I could see. I thought about opening, opening it and going inside. After all, what harm could there be? I opened it and stepped on in, looking back at the life behind. My first impression was I had done the right thing, for inside the wonders were fine. The sun was bright, the grass so green, the air as fresh as could be. As I ventured on in, I turned to see that others were following me. Their smiles said it all as we wandered about, seeing great things did abound. We laughed and we joyed and couldn't believe this wonderful place we had found. I decided to go further away from the door. Oh, what excitement there might be. The, gr the door grew further and further away, but I knew this place was for me. The farther I went, I couldn't help but see that the sun didn't seem as bright. The grass wasn't as green as it was before, but maybe it was just the light. On down the path, I walked ever quick, but concern soon filled my mind. I wasn't as happy as I'd been before at the things I was starting to find. Broken glass lay around, and it cut my bare feet as the darkness crept closer in. The grass was now brown, and the sun faded fast. It was nothing like where I had been. I saw spiders in the trees and snakes in the grass, and the air was thick and dry. The place was not what I thought at all, and soon I began to cry. I turned to go back, but not before I felt an unsettling chill. Eyes I could see staring from the grass, eyes that intended to kill. I spun around as fast as I could. The tears flowed as I ran. I came to the people that followed behind who were still rejoicing in the joy of this land. I screamed and I beckoned as I ran by. This place is not what it seems. It fell on deaf ears to those that I passed, and they paid no attention to me. I tried again, harder this time, to warn of the dangers ahead. The wonders we saw when we first came in were there to conceal all this dread. They would not turn and come back with me. They just pressed further towards the den. 
They had no idea what the future would hold, but I was certain that it would be grim. There were so many, children as well, that filled the paths of this land. It would be impossible for me to get them all out, for they all thought it was so grand. Finally, I reached the door and turned to one warn once more. But the beauty of that initial scene did not move me as once before. It was then I heard them, the awful screams that echoed back to me. Some came running, broken and torn, and some never again I would see. I wept and I mourned at what was going on. I wept and fell on the floor. The lives that would be spared and doing well now had I just not have opened that door. The simple life that I once loathed, unsatisfied as I felt, would have kept me warm and kept me safe from the misery that this place had dealt. There are things in this life that captivate our minds to have them all our money we'd spend. Beware, my friends, and think it through. It just may lead to your end. So think long and hard before you leave and open an uncertain door. Others may find and follow your way and find themselves worse than before. Now, I want you to keep that picture in your mind as we read some of these biblical accounts. Many of these doors these people are fixing to walk through, as they first stepped into that door, the initial scene that they see is lovely and captivating, and they desire it. But they go a little further in and a little further in, not only do they find great destruction, they find that some have followed them and as, as a result uh, received that destruction as well. So let's turn to Joshua, the book of Joshua here. And I'm going to start in the sixth chapter. This is when the account of when Joshua and the, Joshua and the armies of Israel <clears throat> are about to go into the city of Jericho a great fenced walled city, um, a very powerful city. And the Lord is giving them some instructions. He said, we're going to take this city. You're not going to take it by the might of your hands. It's going to be by my power. And he says, when you get in this city, a uh, city of, of very wealthy people, it says <clears throat> in verse 18, and ye in any wise keep yourself from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed when ye take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. And he says, But all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So the Lord says, When you go into this great city of Jericho, you're going to wipe it clean. Well, there's going to be a lot of stuff there. You know, everybody likes to be walking around and find a $10 bill, right? Hey, a $10 bill, I'm going to take it. Or hey, uh, you know, I like to be riding down the road and you'll see a tool that fell off somebody's truck or a piece of chain or something. Hey, we like to find stuff, right? We like to get something and add it to, to our arsenal of stuff when we don't have to pay for it. Well, here, these people go into Jericho and the Lord says, listen, you're going to see clothes that like you've never seen. You're going to see uh, gold and silver like you've never seen. You're going to see all these things and you may be tempted to take it, but don't take it. It's cursed. 
it will be as a curse to you. And he says, so everything that you see, gold, everything, including the silver, the gold, and the vessels of brass and iron, take those things, but take those things, and we're going to put those things in the treasury of the Lord, right? And so they go in and they destroy Jericho and, and, and uh, you know, uh, most of them apply what the Lord told them to do. The next city in their conquest was a city named Ai, a very small city. They sent just a handful of people over there. Uh, it's no big deal. It's a homecoming game. And Israel is defeated. And they lose several men in that battle. And Joshua comes back to the Lord and he kind of stomps his foot and says, where were you, Lord? And the Lord says, hey, I, I didn't leave y'all. Y'all left me. I told you what was going to happen if you took these things that I told you not to take. And so they start going through the camp of Israel, bringing people forward, trying to figure out who in the world has brought this curse on us. And it says, but the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing for Achan took of the accursed thing and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. And so Joshua sends men down and he says, bring them up. We're going to try to figure out, um, you know, who, uh, who has done these things. And if you look and it says, um, verse 7 of chapter 7, it says, And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over the Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. We've been beaten by this, this nobody. He says, O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it. They'll hear how we were easily defeated and shall environ us around and cut off our name from the earth. And what will thou do unto thy great name? And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up. Get up, Joshua. Wherefore liest thou upon thy face? Israel has sinned. That's a whole nother sermon for a whole nother day. But listen, before we ever start blaming God for the circumstances in our life, you need to look at yourself. What have I done against the Lord's ways to bring this upon me? Don't ever sit down and blame the Lord for doing you wrong. God never, ever does anybody wrong. Ever. <clears throat> and the Lord says, there's an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Thou cannot stand before thine enemies until ye take away the accursed thing from among you. And they begin to, to bring people in, and they bring the man named Achan in. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonianish garment and 200 shekels of silver, which remember were to be given to the Lord, the silver, a wedge of gold, which was supposed to be given to God, and, then I, and 50 shekels of weight. Then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. Let me ask you this question. Do all roads lead to happiness? Achan is walking down through here and he hears a knock on the door and he listens. Who's over there? And it says, wonderful garments. Riches. Open this door. And I imagine when Achan opened that door and he stepped into that room and all those things were laying there like, 
uh, presents under a Christmas tree? His first mistake was he looked at them. That's where most every, every sin starts is a look. He saw it and then he coveted it. And then he took them. And then he hit them. And that is our pattern. We see something. We covet it. We take it. And then we try to hide it from God, right? Where were Adam and Eve after they sinned? Were they frolicking through the Garden of Eden? No, they were hiding, right? And that's our pattern. So it goes on and it says, So Joshua sent messengers and they ran into the tent. And behold, it was hid in his tent and the silver under it. And they took them out of the midst of the tent and brought them unto Joshua and to all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with them took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the garment, and the wedge of gold, and his sons, and his daughters, and his oxen, and his asses, and his sheep, his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Do all roads lead to happiness? Did anybody follow Achan in that door? Yes. I heard Brother Neil preach one time and I thought it was a great point. These guys are living in tents, right? These guys are living in tents. Do you think he was able to hide wedges of gold, silver, and all kind of new clothes in a tent and nobody know about it? I think the whole lot of them were, were destroyed because I think they all knew about it and I think they all embraced it. It's life changing now. We've got gold and silver. We'll just keep it quiet. We'll spend a little here, spend a little there. Nobody will ever know it. But God knew it. You know, that's what, that's what I like about Joseph. Potiphar's wife was after Joseph, right? And Potiphar's wife waited till all the men of the house were gone. And then she started doing her work to seduce Joseph. And nobody was there to witness it. But Joseph knew God saw it. And he took off. Amen. It ought to matter, matter to us that you know something. But it ought to really matter that God knows it. Because I can hide stuff from you. But I can't hide it from God. And you can hide stuff from me. But you can't hide it from God. Achan couldn't hide this. Achan stepped through a door. And his family went with him. And they did something that God told them not to do. Achan couldn't stand up and say, well, God, I didn't know. I didn't. He could not claim ignorance. Because God told them before they went in there. And I'm sure Joshua related to his armies. Do not bring anything out of there and keep it. But he did it anyway because there was something behind that door that he just couldn't resist. All doors do not lead to happiness. Let's look at another one here. <clears throat> Go to 2 Samuel, the 11th chapter for me. 2 Samuel, the 11th chapter. The Bible talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We see with Achan, it was the lust of the... I guess you could say the lust of the eyes. He saw something and he coveted it and it brought him ruin. 
There's a man named David. The Bible says he's a man after God's own heart. David hears a knocking at the door one day. In 2 Samuel 11, it says, And it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, that, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabah, but David tarried still at Jerusalem. Now, I cannot preach past that verse, and I want you young people to listen to me. I'm about to explain to you what brought more heartache and trouble to David's household that would have never, ever happened if David would have been where he was supposed to be. David was, it says it was the time after the year was expired at the time when the kings go forth to battle. But instead of going forth to battle, he sends his people, Joab and his servants, to go fight Ammon, and they besieged a city called Rabah. But David stayed back and tarried at Jerusalem. Listen, young people, if you will be where you are supposed to be, you will save yourself a lifetime of heartache. Amen. Well, Brother Luke, where am I supposed to be? Well, church is a good start. Church is a good start. Godly fellowship is a great start. But you know where you're not supposed to be. I don't have to tell you that. I don't have to tell you where you're not supposed to be. If you go into a place where there's a party and there's all manner of foolishness going on, that's not where you're supposed to be. Do you know how many times young people have stepped into a door, saw something that looked wonderful and beautiful when they first got there, but ventured a little further in and a little further in the first time and it destroyed them just like that. First time. Maybe they went in there this is the first party I've ever been to. And I go into that party. There's a million different scenarios. Maybe something's put in one of the drinks that you're drinking. And it makes you a little bit loopy and things happen to you that you don't even know are happening to you. Maybe you decide to leave with some friends that have been drinking. And they crash. And you're paralyzed for the rest of your life. The first time. You see, you open that door... And there's something about that, listen, that can be attractive to all of us. That you go a little further into that door and a little further, and that road does not lead to happiness. Now, if somebody tells you it does, they're being too prideful to tell you about the heartache. Because, see, that's how sin works. Sin never tells you the end of the matter. Never. I heard a preacher say something along those lines this time. He says, when you turn on the TV and you're watching a commercial... And it's a, it's a beer commercial. Do they ever show you the end result of what alcohol can do to you? No. They don't show you the end of the matter. Read Proverbs 23, what the end of a life of alcoholism will do to you. They never show you the dad coming in staggering drunk, uh, beating his wife, beating his children. They never show you the, the, the woman or the, the young person that comes out of a party staggering drunk and crashes her car and kills herself or kills somebody other. They only want you to see the upside of it. But sin never shows you the end of it. But God's Word shows you the end of the matter. Right? You know what we need? 
And you got to be humble enough to accept it. You need to be walking down the hallway of life and hear something very appealing behind the door. And you need somebody with some experience and wisdom standing there saying, do not go into that door. I've been in that door. And I've got scars and wounds in my life that I'm embarrassed to tell you about. For my sake, don't go in there to the door. It will not lead you to happiness. So we need to be able, we need to be humble enough to listen to those people that have been there and done that. And those people that have been there and done that need to be humble enough to admit their mistakes to save somebody coming along a little further. All right. 2 Samuel 11. David should have been where he was supposed to be. But he wasn't. And because he wasn't, he heard a knock on the door. And behind this door was a beautiful woman. And imagine this, if you'll allow me. David cracks the door and opens the door a little bit and he sees this beautiful woman there. And the Bible tells us she's on a rooftop bathing and where he's at, he can see her. Now David's got a choice to make. I can go in and remember the, remember the poem, the beauty of the initial scene? Right? And so David goes into that door believing the lie that all roads lead to happiness. David takes the woman. We don't know, we don't know enough about the details. And let me say it this way. There's a, there's a good possibility that this was not consensual. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. He was either one of two things, right? He was either a rapist or an adulterer, right? David goes into that room further and further and further. And it's not long, as the poem said, that he started to feel that broken glass under his feet. Why? Well, well now she's expected. And now people are going to know about it. You know what bothers me about this? Is I really wish that there was a record in here where David struggled whether or not he was going to pursue this or not. I wish we could see something there where he fought back and forth in his mind of, I don't need to go do that. Do it. You know, back from all accounts we have, he opened the door, saw it, and he was like, let's go. I'm going in this room. And he did it. I don't have time to go through it with you. But I want you to go read about David's life from here on out. Do you know that that one, the one room that he went in brought him, not only brought him terrible grief, but but cost him the life of several of his children? Do you know that his children revolted against him? Do you know that one of his children was a rapist? Do you know that his children were murderers and deceitful? And the Bible tells us it's all traced back to David opening that door and walking in. You remember the poem, Others May Find and Follow Your Way? Achan led himself and his whole family into destruction. David led his whole family to destruction. Now, I'm not going to give you the rest of these. Read Proverbs 7 when you get home. Sometimes that strange woman is knocking at the door. And many answer that door and go into that room for an experience with a strange woman. And as the Bible says, find a dart in their liver and they're dead on their feet and they don't even know it. I see that a lot. 
when I'm out and about and I see these young people just with reckless abandon running into these doors of experience, you know what I think to myself? They're dead on their feet and they don't even know it. You're not always going to be a 22-year-old college kid. My advice that I give to my children or plan to give to my children is this. If there's a fad going on, if, there, if there's a, you know, a practice that's going on or something that's, that's widely accepted in society and 90% of the people that are doing it care, could not care less about the Lord, don't go do it. Even if there's not a scripture that says don't go do this, don't go do it. If 90% of the people that, that are embracing this are not godly people, just don't do it. Because it could be that you don't see what the end of the matter is going to be 10, 12, 15 years from now. Right? Now, let's look at some good doors to go into, okay? Real quick. There's a door. The Bible says this. In Revelation, the third chapter. The Lord says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. All right? The Lord is behind a lot of these doors. And it is not the door to make you his child. It is not the door to get you to heaven. I can prove that to you very easily. I really don't have, need a lot of time to do that. To a verse after that, it says, he that, uh, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. This is the Lord talking to his people. And he says, I'm standing there and knocking. If any man will open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. All right? As God's people... There are times that we shut the door on the Lord and He comes knocking. That's a door you need to open. Listen, the door of Christian service is a door you need to walk into. That's a door full of experiences that you need to walk into. It's not necessarily a door of easy experiences, but we ought to all as God's people rejoice as we walk down life's hallway to get to the door that leads us into Christian service. Because we are servants. And that is what God has called us to be, right? I like over in Romans, the 16th chapter, for a second. It's an encouraging chapter to me. Romans, the 16th chapter. Has anybody, does anybody in here, uh, you know, probably, um, uh, we, you're going to say yeah because I'm giving you the quiz. But if I were to ask you yesterday, is the, is the name Phoebe in the Bible? I think that's Brother Heath Sister Madison's dog's name, right? That's what y'all thought. Yes, that's Brother Heath Sister Madison's dog's name. You ever heard of Phoebe? How many sermons you heard preached on Phoebe? Probably zero. But you know that Paul took the time to write about a woman named Phoebe? Why? Because Phoebe got to the door of Christian service and she opened it and she went in it. And it impacted Paul so greatly of all the things he could write. He took time to write a verse about two verses about Phoebe. I commend you, Phoebe. I commend unto you, Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Centria, that ye receive her in the Lord as becoming saints and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she had, hath need of you. For she has been a succorer, if I'm saying that right, which is a helper of many. She's been a helper of many and of myself also. 
Of all the things that Paul could write about, he said, there's a woman that took the road of the door that led her into Christian service. And she has been not only a help to me, but help to so many. I want y'all to know about her. Are you a Phoebe? Are you a Phoebe? If Brother Tim sat down and and he was going to write a letter to the church in Africa. And Brother Tim sat down and he was going to begin to pen out a, a letter and write. Would he say something about the service that you've given to the Lord? If I were to sit down and write a letter, would I say, hey, let me tell you about the Phoebes that we have in our church. People that with reckless abandon run into Christian service. Let me read you the next one here. I really like this one. He also said, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus. Listen to this. Who have for my life laid down their own necks. Now I take that to mean they did things that could have very easily cost them their physical life. They were so determined to experience and live a life of Christian service that no matter what that particular room held for them, they were going into it with reckless abandon. Christian service is a door that you need to open. You know, we don't probably, uh, and I know that I don't want to embarrass them, but you know, uh, we have deacons in our church and that's what they are. They are men who said, yes, I will step into the door of Christian service. How do you think the baptistry gets filled up every time? Sometimes we remember the, the heater, sometimes not, right? How do you think the baptistry gets filled up? How do you think our money's managed? How do you think we get new ice makers? How do you think we do those things? Because we've got men who said, I'm going to bust through the door and, and live in Christian service. That's the job of a deacon, right? And we have great ones. Priscilla and Aquila said, I'm going to lay down my life for the Lord in Christian service. Can we say that? Can we say, would somebody write a letter about us and say, let me tell you about so-and-so. They have laid down their necks. Greater love have no man than this than he lay down his life. Laying down your life doesn't mean your life ends. Laying down your life means that you sacrifice your time and your money on the altar of Christian service. Can we say we do that? Brothers and sisters, that's a door you need to run into. Let me give you one more here. There's another door that you need to run into, and that's the door that leads into the deeper chambers of the kingdom of God. I don't have time to preach to you about the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God is simply where God rules and reigns. God's people can be his family, but not necessarily thriving in his kingdom. Do you remember King David? He's the king. And he has a son named Absalom, a son of the king. But he chose to live outside of the kingdom of his father. Never changed the fact that he was a son of the king. And he actually rebelled against his father, the king. And what it cost him. It cost him his life. It cost him everything. It cost Absalom everything because as a son of the king, he chose not to live into the kingdom. As children of the king, we can choose to live in the kingdom and let the Lord rule and reign in us, or we can choose to live outside of the kingdom. But brothers and sisters, when we come to doors in our life that lead us into deeper levels of the kingdom of God, we need to run into them, right? 
I want you to think about Peter as I get ready to close. Peter's fishing one day. He's just living his daily life. You can read about this in the first chapter of Mark, first two chapters of Mark. He's just living his daily life and the Lord comes on the scene and the Lord tells Peter to follow me. You know what that is? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And the Lord was knocking on a door that will lead Peter into great experiences in the kingdom of God or he can keep on fishing. And Peter chooses to go into that door. And if we just had a, just a, if, if Peter's life from that point on could flash through our eyes. Brothers and sisters, he went into some deep inner levels of the kingdom of God. Now there are a couple of times he scurried back out to the outer rim. But do you remember when the Lord has been resurrected? And the Lord is sitting on the bank with a fire. And all his disciples or some of his disciples are way out from the bank. And they see this man sitting on the shore. And Peter's standing in that boat. And one of the disciples says, that's the Lord. Okay, oh man, that gives me chills. Because listen, Peter, Peter's carrying a lot of guilt, right? For some of the things he's done. Peter's probably, you know, nets. Hey, what a well, we need some more bait. Let's drag these nets and blah, blah, blah. And somebody says, that's the Lord. Can you imagine Peter snapping too? And you know what Peter does? He jumps in the water and he starts swimming over there too. I can't wait for this boat to get turned. I can't wait. The fastest way I can get there is how I'm going to get there. Listen, with reckless abandon, he went to the Lord to go into a deeper level of the kingdom of God. Amen. You take Peter just fishing one day to his willingness to go into the door, open the door of the kingdom of God that led him down inner chambers deeper and deeper into the kingdom of God to the point where he is jumping in the water to get to the Lord as fast as he possibly can. Amen. Now, <clears throat> life is a hallway. And there are many, many doors that we can go in. There are doors that Achan took. There are doors that King David took. There are doors that the man in Proverbs 7 took. There are many doors that we can go in and that we have gone in. And they will lead us to our end if we don't see it and repent and get out of there. If you're in one of those doors, let me encourage you. If you've gone into one of those doors and like the poem said, you're deep down there where the sun is no longer shining and there's broken glass and there are things that you know are intending to kill you, let me comfort you is that the Lord will leave 99 to go find the one. Amen. Don't forget that. Amen. The Lord isn't standing there with His arms crossed being like, you fool. The Lord is merciful and broken and he wants to go get that broken sheep and use his mighty power as he walks out of that room to keep the wolves and the lions and the bears at bay and hold them back and let and bring you out of there and put you back in that hallway and point you towards the doors of Christian service in the kingdom of God. Amen. History tells us that Peter was uh, crucified on an X-shaped cross upside down. I believe I've got that right. Doesn't really matter what shape it was and whether he was upright or... Uh, he, he suffered, right? 
Peter suffered. Paul and Peter both tell us that to suffer for Christ's sake is a joy. You may open the door to the kingdom of God and open the door that leads to Christian service and look in those rooms and be like, ah, there's nothing really there that looks that appealing to me. Peter may have opened that door and looked, oh, way out there, I see I'm going to be crucified just like my Lord was. I don't think I want to go in that room. But he found more joy going into that room because that's how the Lord works. It goes against our carnal minds how that could bring us joy and happiness, but it does because it brings the Spirit of God joy and happiness and that dwells within us, right? All roads do not lead to happiness, but all roads in the kingdom of God do, even if it costs us our mortal bodies. I hope that that has been profitable to you. I hope you'll open the right doors and pass by the wrong doors. If you've gone down the wrong door, I pray that you'll repent, look to the Lord, for He is waiting with open arms to bring that sheep back. If you're deep into the doors of the kingdom of God, keep pressing on.